Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. It's 730 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. Two hours until we start trading today. And looks at the moment like we're going to be up again. Stocks higher around the world. Some of the corporate news that are pushing stocks higher. Alibaba in discussions with banks for a loan of as much as $4 billion, the Wall Street Journal says they would use the money to fund expansion plans. Hilton Worldwide Holdings is going to continue to pursue spinoffs of its hotel properties. Now it wants to spin off its timeshare business into a REIT to boost shareholder value. Uh, the uh, lawyers for Apple have filed their response to the Justice Department. They say that the FBI is seeking a, quote, dangerous power that would undermine the basic security and privacy interests of hundreds of millions of individuals around the globe. The FBI wants Apple to unlock the iPhone used by one of the attackers who killed 14 people in California in December. And RBS stock plunging today as the company reported losses and said it uh, would take longer to uh, reinstate its dividend. RBS shares down 8.4% right now. Let's check in with uh, John Tucker to get the latest world and national headlines. John? Yeah, good morning, Michael. Marco Rubio suddenly and urgently emerging from the shadows to hammer the front-runner Donald Trump last night during the 10th Republican presidential debate. Florida's junior senator compared Trump to a sketchy sidewalk salesman. Iranians today in parliamentary elections are voting the country's first vote since its landmark nuclear deal with world powers last summer. The vote is seen as a referendum on the policies of the moderate president, Hassan Rouhani. FIFA delegates approve changes designed to open up global soccer's governing body as it tries to overcome corruption allegations and arrests that brought on the biggest crisis in its 112-year history. The reforms include a new top board, 12-year term limits for the president and senior officials, as well as disclosure under pay. U.S. officials at the Pentagon has launched a newly aggressive campaign of cyber attacks against Islamic State militants. It's a targeted effort to erode the group's abilities to use social media and the Internet to recruit fighters and aspire followers. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm John Tucker. Michael. Thank you, John. Time now for the Ray Katina Auto Group, Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. Here's John Stasher. All right, Mike, little history made by Rangers goalie Henrik Lundqvist last night in St. Louis. He shined in goal again with 35 saves. Rangers won 2-1. to one. It's the 30th win for Lundqvist, and he joins Marty Brodeur and Patrick Waz, the only goalies to have 10 seasons with 30 or more. Chris Kreider had the game-winning goal in the third period. Josh Bailey, the game-winner for the Islanders, with just 18 seconds left in overtime, a 2-1 win at Calgary. Devils never in it in Columbus. Blue Jackets scored three in the first off Corey Schneider before he got benched. They won 6-1, to the hat-trick for Nick Foligno. The Nets were paying Joe Johnson $25 million this season, considering where Brooklyn is in the standings. Not a surprise. The two sides agreed to a buyout. Johnson gave $3 million back. He can now sign with a contending team. Nets found a team worse than they are. Phoenix has lost 13 in a row. Brooklyn won 116-106. 20th win for Seton Hall, 70-52 to over Providence. Also the Big East, St. John's fell to 1-15, losing to the only team they've beaten, DePaul, 83-75. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashauer. 
Thank you, John. Well, the G20 are meeting now in Shanghai. The meeting is officially underway. Gold prices down by a tenth of a percent. Not a lot of concern out there in the world as to what may happen in China. This is Bloomberg Worldwide. And welcome back to Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. Green on the screen today, S&P futures up by nine points right now, a little more than four-tenths of a percent, a five-tenths gain for Dow futures. They are up 77. Europe's higher, the stock 600 by four points, 1.1 percent right now. Time now for the Bloomberg NJIT STEM report brought to you by New Jersey Institute of Technology, partnering with government and industry to apply the university's world-class research assets to innovate and spur economic growth. Learn more at njit.edu. Here is Bob Moon. Michael, good morning, and it's coming up on 735 on Wall Street. Here's what's making news in science, technology, engineering, and math. So what would it take? for Apple to crack into its own iPhone software. Ten engineers and a month of work is what the company says it could take for Apple to write the program the FBI says it needs to get data out of the San Bernardino terrorist iPhone. In a court filing in response to the government request that it helped break into the device, Apple said the order that it provide reasonable technical assistance doesn't take into full account what the assistance would entail and that it won't be fast or easy. The current software requires manual password entry and and limits the number of incorrect guesses. In addition to the six to ten engineers and as long as four weeks of work to create new code in a hyper-secure isolation room, the company said it would require multiple stages of testing, quality assurance, potentially recoding, documentation, then deploying the new operating system on the device at an Apple facility and supervising the Federal Bureau of Investigation's use of the whole system. That's this morning's Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. Michael. Thank you very much. Bob Moon. Sasan Garamani is the founder and CEO of SGH Macro Advisors, been on this show many times, a policy research firm for hedge funds and uh, international financial policymakers. M- many international financial policymakers today, obviously, in Shanghai for the G20 meeting, SAS, and uh, you've written that you're not expecting a whole lot out of this. Still, we note currency markets, little change today. People seem to be holding their breath on trading desks. Uh, good morning, Mike. First of all, thank you very much. And Tom, thank you for having me on again. Um, you're right. Uh, we're not expecting much, but I'd like to talk actually a little bit here about expectations because you know, I've read a bunch of articles uh, in the run-up to the G20 meeting sort of pushing back and saying, don't expect a 1985-style accord and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and you know, if I read one more of those, I'm going to pull out the little bit of hair I have left on my head. Nobody's really expecting that. Nobody's expecting a, you know, accord on, you know, global currency intervention or anything like that. The the, the important thing at this G20 meeting is, quite frankly, uh, to um, to really deliver a message um, that the policymakers uh, are 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 not out of ammunition, and this is sort of a narrative that has been um, you know very prevalent, I think, in, in the markets now. And there's concern. There was concern after the Bank of Japan cut rates, and it, you know the yen went the other way. Uh, and, and, and so I think that the main point um, at the G20 meeting is going to be twofold. Is one is the communique itself already addresses currency issues. It addresses volatility. That nobody likes volatility. Currencies need to follow fundamentals. 
So I think it's important for them to reiterate that. Secondly, I think it's important. It's not so much the message as who is delivering the message that's that's important. And that was uh, one of the key um, points that we're making in a piece that, um, that that we wrote. I think that that, that you may have been alluding to earlier, um, saying that, look, this isn't China, and the, the China, Fed, and oil are sort of the big global risks out there that the markets are looking at, now Brexit as well. And so, you know, they, they really need to, I think, reassure markets you know, on, on two fronts. One is on the fundamentals of the economy, and they need to explain to their counterparts well, here's here's what's going on in our economy, and here's what we're doing. And secondly, on the currency, what are we doing with the currency? What is you know our 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 our, our policy here? And what they have really been weak on is explaining why why they you know don't want to step devaluation so far. Um, we've already seen the first part of that, and, and and it's no coincidence you know that there's been sort of silence, and then you know right. You know, in the run-up to the G20 meeting, uh, Central Bank Governor uh, Zhou Zhuan came out and talked about um, the, the possibility of, uh, yeah. of, of more monetary easing. There's also another piece that is, is, is not official, but it's sort of floated out there on the fiscal side, uh, where in an article written that says, hey, hey, China, you know, is talking about a 3%. Um, deficit to GDP ratio that could actually go up to as much as four percent. So these are the, the sorts of things that you know, not you know, coincidentally, are now being floated around um, at the G20 meeting. Uh, so uh, when we leave, do markets? Uh, and I only have about thirty seconds left before we have to take a break. Yep. We'll come back. But do markets move at all? Yeah, I think markets are moving already. You know, I mean, look, I, I don't think that um, there's there's you know the prospects of enormous reactions specifically to the G20. Remember, the G20 is, you know, look, their, their last summit communique was 27 paragraphs, seven pages. You know, there's a lot, lots of things they talk about. Um, so it's not all about, you know, currencies and, and, and FX. Um, but, but broadly speaking, I think it's, it's the sense that the, you know, global policymakers at least get it that they are doing no harm, and at least they can be helping the situation now. And I think this is the the the, the key takeaway um, that that they're trying to deliver. And, and I think markets um, are are sort of listening to that now. And so I think yes, it's a risk on event. So, All right, uh, we'll come back with Susan Garamani from SGH Macro Advisors. Uh, they exist to read the communique so you don't have to. <laughs> there are firms like that. Um, everybody wants to – will go immediately to the currency paragraph. They won't read the, the rest of the thing that all these uh, highly paid government officials spend weeks putting together. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene. You are this, so cynical. This is Bloomberg <laughs> Surveillance on Bloomberg Radio Worldwide. We are counting down to the opening bell brought to you by the refined Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland. It continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today. Jeep, the official vehicle of Killington Resort.